welcome to another episode of that anxiety community podcast we're here today with danny did you want to introduce yourself a little bit yeah sure so my name is daniel jamal danny for short i uh i run an anxiety and stress workshop ran one before a couple of months ago with mac and i'll be continuing to do a little bit more with uh, the same organization uh located here in calgary alberta and uh my goal with this entire thing my entire vision with this is creating awareness, not only for the grand scheme of things, you know, not only creating awareness for anxiety, but Mm -hmm. helping people create their own individual self-awareness as well. And if people can watch this podcast and go home, you know, right after finishing it, realizing that they're not the only ones going through it, then that'd be awesome. I think we, we do our job then. One of the things that I think is important with self-awareness is just the fact that when you have anxiety and you want to grow, I feel like you can't grow without that self-awareness. I feel like to be able to grow, you have to know where your issues are lying, uh, what certain things you have to work on. And if you don't know those things, how are you supposed to be knowing what you're going to be working on, right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, you can't solve the problem unless you know what the problem is. It's true. Um, maybe you have an example of that? Yeah, sure. I think I think anxiety as a whole in the, in the past year has been a one-way highway to just self-awareness because mm-hmm. when you're sitting at home and it's in the middle of a of lockdown and there's nothing else you can do but besides stare up at the ceiling for hours and hours you have no choice but to converse with those inner demons inside of yourself you have no choice but to have a conversation with every aspect of yourself and 99% of those conversations are extremely hard to have Mm-hmm. Because you think that when you, I, you know, say self-reflect or you meditate, when you dig deep into the dirt of who you really are, are you'll, uh, you'll find all the good things, right? Mm-hmm. But what you find is that I do have shortcomings. I do have flaws. I have made mistakes in the past that need to be fixed. And matter of fact, I do have anxiety. My own anxiety presented itself in the spotlight through self-awareness, through me sitting down with myself during lockdown and trying to figure out, well, why, why am I the way that I am? Mm-hmm. Why do I freak out for no reason sometimes? Why do I pace around my room, pulling my hair out over things that have already transpired or things that have yet to transpire in the future, yeah. things that haven't even happened yet? And that level of self-awareness, that level of being able to push past, okay, I do have mistakes that which leads into it looks like I do have anxiety that sort of helps you it helps you become the creative director of your own thoughts and emotions and feelings and it it takes some time for your ROI to return from that but uh, when it does return from that you realize how important it was for you to beat yourself up a little bit about your own mistakes so you're saying without that level of self-awareness you don't think that you'd be where you are today with your anxiety Absolutely not. No, no, no. I'd be, I'd be so far gone because before, before having self-awareness, I used to just hide my anxiety in the closet um, until every single hang- hanger was just hung. And the issue with that I found is that all I'm doing is I'm suppressing my emotions. Mm-hmm. And every second of the day where I suppress an emotion, where I suppress my anxiety, it just builds itself up to become this huge cognitive bias of a monster, right? But if I allow myself to be aware of my emotions, to be aware of the self, 
then I am able to approach my anxiety with more confidence because I know where I'm coming from. I have some, some mm-hmm. confidence. I have some background. You know? I feel like self-awareness is just one step further. Like growing up, I was aware that I had a problem, but I didn't know what that was. And it's like, how do you deal with that? Like there's one thing about hiding your anxiety from other people. And then there's one thing about just avoiding it yourself, like avoiding what that problem is and looking into it, like you said, right? And once I started having that self-awareness, I had a lot of light bulbs going on, like that's what's happening. And then I was able to find other people that had the same thing. And I was able to heal a lot more than when I was younger and just kind of saying, there's this problem, but if I just don't think about it, then it'll act up sometimes and I can just push it off to the side. Exactly. You know, I I think a big piece of self-awareness that I found recently was that my goal with my anxiety is not to solve it. It's not for me to punch my anxiety into a calculator and get one mm-hmm. specific answer. That's not what it is. I agree with that. My goal with my anxiety is to be able to manage and regulate it. Mm-hmm. It's to be able to become friends with it in a way. You know, I think anxiety is this friend that we all misunderstand. I think that the goal is not to be able to figure out, well, how do I get out of the maze? Where's the exit door? I think the goal is to be able to hang out in the maze long enough that you can call it home, get comfortable with it and create a nice place for yourself. And I agree with that a lot. I feel like there's a lot of different opinions about anxiety out there and I'm not a mental health professional myself, but the moment that I stopped like asking, when am I gonna get better? When is this gonna go away? Like, and I just started kind of living my life and saying, how can I make my life more normal? Is when I started getting better is when I stopped asking. Um, and I just think that's a huge piece of it because anxiety isn't actually, you need anxiety in your life, right? Anxiety, there can be beneficial anxiety. Um, I know they talk a lot, at, a lot about it, um, back in history, you know, you need anxiety to survive. Um, but there's a difference between anxiety that's going to help you and anxiety that's excessive and too much worrying and affecting your life that way. Right. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to get rid of it completely. No, no, you don't. Do you mind if I ask you a question quickly? Yeah. It, does your anxiety and stress, do you feel like it tends to live inside the past or the future? Do you, when, when you have those anxious moments, are they based on you thinking about the past or worrying about the future? I'm going to say the future. I definitely do worry about the past, but it's going to be much more about the future orientated, right? Interesting. For me, at least. Gotcha. Um. I feel like I definitely dwell on the past a lot, but it's just, it's way more the future for me. Like, what if this happens? What if that's going to happen? If that makes sense. Right, exactly. I, I think I'm the opposite, actually. I think I spend so much time hanging out in the past. Yeah. Because yeah. my anxiety, it serves itself as this, you, you know, okay, there, there's two places I can hang out right now. Realistically, the present, I'm still getting used to it. So right now I have the future and the past. The future mm-hmm. outcome has yet to be determined. So that freaks me out. Because now I'm, going, I'm running through every single little negative, pessimistic, hypothetical, much of which will never happen. Yeah. But the past, the, deter- the outcome of that has already been determined. So I already know how everything's going to go. I already know what the end of the movie is like. I already know when every single jump scare is in the yeah. movie. And so I, I hang out there so much so that I... I really tear down my house of cards over things that have already happened. I mean, it happened recently, actually. It was a couple, it was like a, like a week or two ago, something like that, where I was looking at old final exam marks 
from grade 11, right? It already happened. I got a low, I got a low grade. So what? It was like three, yeah, yeah. whatever. And you, you look at those old final exam marks and we are so interested in our past and trying to figure everything out, even when it's just unnecessary and you're wasting your energy in it. But, you know, I, I looked at that 34% on my math final and I almost personalized it. I almost personified it and had a conversation with it. Mm -hmm. sometimes you revisit those old marks and you go hey and it goes hey and you go <laughs> we yeah. sure tried didn't we and it goes yeah we did and you go yeah. hey would you mind reminding me what i was like back in grade 11 i'm talking to this 34 percent. can you remind me what like why was i so dramatic why was this so emotionally unstable why was i the way that i was and that 34 percent looks at me in the eyes and it says don't worry about it don't worry about it right yeah so, so i i spent a lot of time in the past yeah. no that's me but it's interesting how different we are in that sense because i will sit there in the present and go why am i emotionally unstable now what's wrong with me now what's going to happen in the future about this where is this going to go um honestly just a huge fear of the unknown there and i feel like a big part of not dwelling on the past for me is because when I was going through kind of the worst of my mental health struggles, probably two, three years ago, yeah. coming out of that, this probably isn't a healthy coping mechanism, but this is just the way it is. I just, I hate feeling sad. I hate feeling anxious over stuff. So I just avoid it. If that makes sense. Like if something happens in like five seconds, I'm like, okay, move on. It's done. Like, cause I just don't want to feel like that so much, if that makes sense, which probably so, so isn't healthy. It's just the way it is. Well, well, you're saying that you were so, you so just exhausted of it, honestly. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's a very interesting coping mechanism. Wow. That happened with my health anxiety too. It's not even that like for so long, I felt like I had to solve things like, oh, do you have cancer? Do you not have cancer? For example. Um, but there's a certain point where I honestly just made an active choice as like, I would rather have a health condition and have my anxiety be okay and not feel that way mm -hmm. than worry about it at all. And I wasn't always in that place because it's hard to, you know, interrupt the negative thought cycles and to actually stop that worrying. But it right. got to a point of exhaustion where I was like, eh, you know, like it is what it is. <laughs> like I was just tired. Right. right. Were you more, um, were you more frustrated with the coping mechanisms, the previous ones not working, or were you more frustrated with the actual problem itself? Uh, what I perceived the problem was because oh. Like mine was more like the OCD side of it, right? So I actually like, if I like was thinking about cancer, I wasn't like, oh, like I might have cancer. Like it was again, future orientated where I was like, okay, I have cancer, oh, what's gonna happen? Um, how many, like it felt 99% real to me. So it'd be like, oh, 99% chance, like I'm gonna die. How many, instead of saying, am I gonna die? I'd be like, how many months do I have left to live? Like I was so far into the future. I'd be like, is everyone gonna leave me? What am I gonna do, you know? And then it was just completely, yeah. Like, it's like I would have a thought, skip seven thoughts ahead of something that's not even happening and then, you know, be stuck in that place, if that makes sense. It's crazy because we are such, we are such bad architects of the future. We are such bad architects of the future. And, and the funny thing is when we are trying to build the foundation of the future, we focus so much on the furniture and how the house looks instead of the actual foundation of the house. We spend so much time investing energy and, and our, our well-being into these specific little hypotheticals instead of, well, how should I actually build my future? Yeah. And worrying about these little five-minute 
occasions and events that probably will never happen. That's crazy. That's, that's some interesting experience you have. Wow. Well, it's just, this was so, like, my belief was so strong in this, like, 99% certain. Like, if I, there's a long time where I believed that I had Parkinson's. And it wasn't, do I have Parkinson's? It's, what am I going to do now that I have Parkinson's? How am I going to live my, like, it was just so far into the future that I was stuck in there, obviously. But the only way that got me out of that was actually my dad indirectly doing CBT stuff. He had no idea what CBT therapy even was, but he was just like, okay, well, let's look at the patterns of this and let's break this down. You become more self-aware of your anxiety. So I remember there was one day, this wasn't actually about the Parkinson's. This was with a thought loop where I was afraid of losing my mind, which is again, a very common health anxiety. Um, so he was sitting there and he's like, how do you not see it? Like I see it, but how do you not see it? Like, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. Like I, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then two months later, I'm like, no, now this is going to happen. He's like, how do you not see it? So then he took a bunch of paper and he started drawing like charts on the paper. And I was like, okay. And he's like, okay, like this is Parkinson's. This is your fear of losing your mind. How is this one different from this one? Like what, like, what were your thoughts with this one? What was your thoughts with this one? And then it was, I was like writing all the symptoms and I was like, wow, like there was all these symptoms there and that didn't happen. And there's all these symptoms here and that didn't happen. So I was like, the more that I did stuff like this, the more that I saw it as anxiety and saw anxiety as the problem instead of the perceived threat as the problem. So I was like, wow, I'm the problem is I'm anxious about having cancer instead of the problem being cancer, right? Interesting, interesting. Wow. So he has no idea what CBT therapy is at all, but it was just interesting that he came up with that. So you mentioned the part about, oh, I thought that was so interesting. You weren't actually worried about whether or not you had Parkinson's. You were actually... Okay, your intrusive thoughts tied weights around your ankles. Yeah, I was like, and they, well, how am I going to do just with sinking. this? Yeah, that's, oh my God, that's how it invested. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. how real, that's how awful it felt. And then that's a lot of the stuff I do on my account is health anxiety. Like we're talking about <laughs> self-awareness here, but I would not have been able to get better from my health anxiety if I didn't do that self-awareness piece and point out the patterns of my anxiety and understand how it works, how it flows, and just... I mean, there's always self-awareness you can have, but it's really individualized how your anxiety works and you have to be able to figure that out on your own, right? Interesting, yeah. Yeah, so we wrote here that just self-awareness can separate anxiety from who you are. So you stop blaming yourself. You stop saying what's wrong with me and seeing it as kind of a mechanism and a machine that like runs, if that makes sense. Separate from who you are. It affects you, but it's not who you are yeah exactly it's not who you are that's right um it, it sort of circles back to this psychological concept that came about a couple of months ago about it's, it's called faet the fundamental attribution error trap and what it tells us is that we constantly attribute our mistakes our yeah. shortcomings and our flaws to who we are mm -hmm. When in fact, a lot of the times these mistakes we make, these shortcomings we have, are actually a reflection of our circumstance, a reflection of maybe the way we were raised or the people we were surrounded by, not always a reflection of our capabilities as a human being or who we will become in the future. And so you're right. When you have an increased level of self-awareness, you can tell why the gears in your head grind the way they do mm -hmm. and you're causing it to grind that way. And you'll find maybe 70, 80% of the time, these crazy out of the world thoughts you have are not you. They are not a reflection of who you are. Matter of fact, you are not even the owner of them. 
yeah. you don't to call yourself the owner of them. You're just an observer of them. This increased level of self-awareness helps you. It, it helps you take that road of anxiety. It helps you jump over that hurdle, realizing that although this is my problem, I'm not going to beat myself up for causing it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on solving it because it is my problem and it is still affecting me. Yeah. I'm not going to beat myself up over it. And it makes sense too. Um, I think a big piece of that is you were talking about something that you talk about a lot, which is new problems or old problems. Did you want to talk about that with this piece? Yeah, sure. So it's sort of like a coping mechanism, but also a paradigm shift for me and a couple of people <laughs> I told about it too. So when we have these moments of anxiety, I think it's important, at least after you've had it, to jot down what happened and think back to other moments of anxiety in your past. How different is this moment of anxiety to those other moments? How many strains of anxiety am I actually dealing with? Because it feels like there's a million different problems I have encompassing being anxious that I have to deal with. And you'll soon realize that nine times out of 10, it's just the same problem. It is the same type of anxiety, but it's just presenting itself differently. For example, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just thinking what you're saying now is just, I found it interesting when you were telling me about it, because that's what helped me when I was going through the, is this Parkinson's and then fear of losing your mind thing? Because as looking at it as the same old problem rather than a new threat every time. So I was shifting my mindset to this is the same problem. These are the same thoughts that we generally have. Like, let's deal with this. And it helped me to see it more as anxiety than, you know, focusing on whatever the perceived threat is at the time. There you go. There you go. You know, I always say, check it off, right? Check it off like a filing cabinet, you know, file number 106-8. This is where I tell myself that when I go out for coffee with my friends, I'm gonna spill coffee on my shirt and I'm gonna embarrass myself in front of the entire cafe. Yeah. Check, check mark, that never happened. That never happened. So you experience that moment of anxiety, it never happened. Therefore, there's no need to experience it again. Yeah. And if it does start coming again, check that filing cabinet, 106-A. Oh, it never happened. No mm-hmm. need to be- So we talked a lot about self-awareness and how this benefits your anxiety, but I know you also had some ideas for coping techniques and using your downtime intentionally. Yeah, so I think it's very important that you set boundaries, you set lines between this is work time and this is downtime because you should never let the two mix. Honestly, don't let the two get to know each other, work time and downtime. And so I say two hours before downtime, hang your hat and get very local with yourself. Like yeah, I'm, really I'm bad with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can improve. <laughs> no, it's, it's a tough thing to do because we have spent the past eight hours of our day diligently checking in with other people, with information mm. around the world, processing information by the minute, right? Talking to our boss, doing all these tasks and responsibilities. But you need to be able to step outside the picture frame of constantly living big and busy, of constantly being inside of that work bubble and realizing that, well, I'm just a guy who needs to relax now, right? I'm just Jacqueline. I just need to take some time to relax now so that yeah. I can wind back up and just, just go back at it the next morning, mm-hmm. right? And so when you are in downtime, find yourself a very, very like hyper-specific routine 
So for me, it's, what do I do? I, I grab Celestial Seasonings Herbal Tea. Yeah. Caffeine-free, by the way. Caffeine-free. Caffeine-free. Okay. Caffeine-free. Yeah. Just to balance out the five cups of coffee I had in the morning. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> I do that. And then I, I watch movies. I literally, I, will, I go on Amazon Prime and I watch a movie. Mm-hmm. That's what I do every single night. And that's my mode of transportation to be able to calm myself down and not think about anything that happened, anything that transpired during that work day it's interesting that you said that because my plans last night i was trying to watch iron man all night and i ended up working until like 12 30 just doing stuff like i was on my phone so it felt like i was on my phone but i was like content prepping i was doing work and then i was like it's past midnight and i was like oh now i have a podcast in the morning and i gotta go to bed and i can't watch my movie so it's interesting that you said that so we're living two different lives right now (laughs) Well, here's the thing. You're a creative, right? Like that's your thing. It's working inside of the creative process. Mm-hmm. And so oh, it's such a tough, it's such a tough thing to, uh, to abide by, but it's like the rules for when you are working inside of the creative process. It's that when it's 3am and you have an idea for the podcast, uh-huh. you have an idea of what kind of song you want to write or, or picture you want to draw, you get up and you write it down. And you, and, and sometimes you have to sacrifice that, you know, like yeah. you see a lot of people like Einstein, he used to, oh, he said he, a lot of his theories, a lot of his concepts and ideas came to him in his sleep and he would just get up and go to work and he would sacrifice that. Yeah. Nicely. And my mom's been trying to help me with that since I was younger. Like, obviously with my anxiety, I had more emotional dysregulation that I, you know, it was undiagnosed, but you know, it's more like kids being kids. So you don't really look into it too much. But I remember I would be like seven years old and I don't know, I'd be drawing for like 15 hours straight and then I'd throw a fit. Like I'd just do it 15 hours straight. I would forget to eat. I'd forget to, you know, take any break. And then I would hate it. And I'd just be so angry. I'd be like, I hate it. Like I hate everything about it. My mom would have to be like, okay, you got to take a break. You got to eat some food. And she's so good at like making me stop and eat some food. And before I'd be like, oh, whatever. Like I don't need to eat. And we'd have, we'd bicker about it. But now I'm like, okay, like I'll take a break. Um, part of it for me is the fear that if I don't do something right away, I know, like I have ADHD and I know if I don't do something right now, I'm not going to be interested in it. Like, uh, I guess it's not behind me, but I had this painting that I started out and I spent so long on it. As soon as I stopped on it, I haven't picked it up for like a month. Like I'm not going to pick it up for like another two years. So and you, okay. That's interesting. So anxiety interested. that I'm not going to be able to finish it if I don't do it like wow. right away. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but your anxiety it forces you to work inside the trance. Mm-hmm. Your anxiety tells you that this is a period where you can be creative and you can just hack away that thing with like the most maximized potential ever. But the Nothing moment else that, matters to me that about tra- that moment. Okay, interesting. Interesting. And, and do you usually find, like how long does it take for you to get back into the trance of being creative? If I get out of it? Yeah. I've been getting better at forcing myself to pick things up, but never. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I, same. <laughs> like you notice this keyboard I had in front of me, it's not on the zoom call, but it's in front of me still. And I bought this. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do music. Like I have a guitar. I have actually I have two guitars, a ukulele. Like I have all this stuff. I was like, I'm going to relearn piano. I haven't touched it because I didn't do it the same day that it came in. I've not touched it. Interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, you know, for me, I have a guitar right there actually. Yeah. Yeah. My inflated ego 
tells me that you are actually incredible the moment I figure out like the smallest thing. Like I learned how to play one song on the guitar. It's two chords. It took me maybe like two hours to learn when it should take someone maybe five minutes at most. Yeah. The, moment I, the moment I learned it, I was like, listen, you're like John Mayer now. So like, good job. Like, you're, you're killing it already. No, I haven't learned, I haven't learned a single song in the past like five yeah, months. Yeah. Because I'm so satisfied with myself for learning that one. No, I, I can kind of relate to that a bit because I feel like as soon as I get something, I don't want it anymore. Like I spent like so long every hour of the day playing guitar for weeks. I got really good at it. I was doing all the finger picking and everything. I really got at it. And I was like, nah, I did it. Like, I, I feel like I'm not doing it for the enjoyment. I'm doing it for the outcome of it, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you enjoy it. Like I feel, like, I feel like, yeah, like it's it's my enjoyment is being able to be like, oh, I play guitar, you know, instead of being like, oh, I'm enjoying playing guitar right now. Like if I can say, yeah, I'm good at guitar, then I'll like, that's the out I'm outcome oriented. And it's, I don't know what that is, or I've never looked into it, but that's the way it is. So right now the piano, I'm not just like, oh, I want to play piano right now. I'm like, what would it look like? Like, I feel like I'm, I fantasize a lot with this stuff. Like, what would it look like if I was just really good at piano, you know? And oh, that's like, here. yeah. I tell myself if I learn how to play the guitar like really seriously in the, in the next couple of years, what will it lead to? And I spend so much time creating these figments of imagination of me performing. Yeah, yeah. Actually learning how to play the guitar. That's that's what I go through. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I actually the last couple I don't know how long it's been, but I found a hack for my ADHD with this, and I don't know why I didn't know it before, but. You know, like, it's pretty normal that you watch a movie, you want to be like the main character. Yeah. But depending who you are, some people are more susceptible to that than others. Some people will act like that for a long time. So, and then there's an abnormal side of it, obviously, which is a whole different conversation. But I will watch Legally Blonde, for example, before I have to like, I used to watch Legally Blonde in high school before I had to work on my law homework. Um, because that's a lawyer movie and I was like and then that inspires me and then if I do want to go pick up guitar again then I will watch a Jimi Hendrix documentary and yeah. if I need to work on my account and content prepping I will watch um, the Zac Efron um, I forget what it's called but it's like his new documentary where he basically is what's the word philanthropist he just goes around the world and he like you know they're they're, con they're content prepping that so I hack that because then I, it inspires me. So if I do have to paint, then I'll look for some sort of artist online to watch and it works. I forget what the original topic we we're talking about. Well, it was being intentional. And I think that's important because being intentional, it goes along with being self-aware. If you're intentionally doing that, that is you being self-aware of the active decisions you're making, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in the past couple of months, self-awareness has really, oh, it's been, it's been showing itself. Well, okay. When you, the things you think about will present themselves to you. That's what I'm finding. The things yeah. that I focus my mental energy towards, the world will, will work out the aggregate of that and stoke the same fire that I'm stoking. Mm -hmm. So I am constantly thinking about how do I fix my value system? For example, these non-negotiable principles that I live by day okay. to day, how do I fix them? And the world says, by the way, we will help you with that. We will, we will stoke that same fire by surrounding you with people who have similar value systems. Yeah. Very interesting, the people I meet, not deliberately, 
it's the world, it's the law of the universe that's helping me meet those people. And the self-awareness part of it is when I increase my level of self-awareness, when I subsequently achieve this value system of mine that I can hang around my neck and walk around with everywhere, I found that I was better able to figure out, well, who, which people in my group, which people in my close circle are at the expense of my well-being to talk to and hang out with and which are not. With my increased level of self-awareness, I was able to tell why do I feel the way that I feel every time I hang out with this person, every time I go out for coffee with this person, why do I feel that way? And then I can trace it back to, oh, it's because you're just surrounding yourself with toxic people. So the world is aligning itself with that. It's saying, okay, you don't wanna hang out with toxic people, create a value system, increase your self-awareness, and we will align, we will work with you on that. We will balance that and give you people who are not toxic anymore. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm thinking about what to say. No, it's really interesting. Like I agree with you completely. Um, I just haven't thought about what I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, I feel like when I hang around people that don't reflect my values, which I do a lot, you know, we're both, you're 19, right? Yeah. So we're both fairly young. So there's a lot of people to surround yourself with. So I feel like it's honestly difficult at this age because there's a lot of people who haven't grown into who they're going to be. Obviously, there's an emotional maturity that we both have, but there's a lot of people that haven't grown into who they're going to be, if that makes sense. And I just feel like when I hang out with people because, you know, I have a lot of friends and I hang out with some of them, then I feel bad about myself because I feel like I'm not being true to myself. I feel like I'm not being who I'm supposed to be, you know? Like when they say who's surrounding you is a cage, like, you know, there's some people I'm always going to want in my life. I love them. They're my friends. You know, there's, you're allowed to have friends that reflect different aspects of who you are. Mm -hmm. um, but there's definitely some points where like, I will feel bad because I feel like it's not reflecting who I am. And I feel right. like sometimes who people are bounce back on who I am and my core values a little bit. 